HBCU Pulse Radio yeah. on Sirius XM Channel 142 HBCU. You're now locked in to HBCU Pulse. We're the number one outlet for HBCU life, talking about everything that's important to our culture. From on-campus issues to politics and what's trending on the yard, we always keep that same energy. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and host of HBCU Pulse Radio in the building for another special edition of the show on today, where we are in for a treat. We have a big-time interview with actually a friend of the show that I interviewed back in 2022 before we got with the SiriusXM family, Mr. Charles Garbrough Jr. He's the 2002-2003 Mr. Tennessee State University holding it down, and he's also currently the alumni president of Tennessee State University. Doing a lot of amazing things, all right? So I want to do it like this. I want to get into the front page report because we're going to talk about some front page topics with Charles. Get up get on up, what's up. trending. Get up! You're listening to the front page report on HBCU Pulse Radio. All right, so for the front page report today, we're going to talk with Charles Galbraith about what's going on at Tennessee State University. Reports have come out about Tennessee State Republicans looking to vacate the TSU Board of Trustees. There was a recent bill that was filed by lawmakers that would indeed vacate the Board of Trustees. And you have state senators such as Senator John Lundingberg that's basically saying, hey, the, the board needs to be vacated. He said, I think we need a new board in place as soon as possible. So in the meantime, what could possibly happen is Governor Bill Lee would pick the new members of the Board of Trustees. And that's been raising a lot of alarms amongst the HBCU community and especially the Tennessee State community. So, of course, with a headline of this magnitude, I had to get somebody that's on the front lines fighting to make sure everything is good for our beloved HBCU and Tennessee State University. So first, we're going to play my comments talking to Charles about what is going on with Tennessee State and what's the best outcome in this situation. I've been trying to figure out what's been going on with Tennessee State in the state of Tennessee. We did an interview about it uh, back in December 2022 uh, about the hearings that were going on, and Dr. Glover spoke at it. And there's been so many updates in that situation. So tell us, like, what's been going on politically with, with Tennessee yeah. State? So Tennessee State University will always be excellent. Um, Tennessee State University is a school that, you know, when there are challenges, that does not attack excellence. Ex challenges are part of excellence. And so the state of Tennessee, some would believe because of the money that we are owed, some would believe because um, we could do better in, in some of the ways that we leave the school and, and, and are um, serving. But whatever it be, Tennessee, uh, my hopes that, are that Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, would find a way to better support Tennessee State University. Um, you know, it, it takes partnership. And what they do a lot of times is point out a lot of the, the, the challenges that we have that sometimes are challenges because we're underfunded. Sometimes there, there could be better leadership decisions, but for the most part, many of the challenges that we suffer as a university and many HBCUs suffer are because we lack the funds in some of those areas. And so I, I kind of, I compare it to a single parenting. You know, when, when you have 
not as much money coming into the household, sometimes your management will cause one area of your household to suffer because you had to utilize that money or you had to utilize that that attention to another area that was more pressing for for the survival of your family. And I think that HBCUs, not just Tennessee State University, think they have to do a lot of maneuvering because they don't have the funds. So um, Tennessee is a difficult state for an HBCU. That's that's how I will say that. It's a difficult state for an HBCU. Um, And so what we have to do is we have to share our story um, in a way that they can understand how important we are, not just to the black community, but how important we are to the history of Tennessee. I think that they don't love us. They like, they should love us. Um, And we have to teach them how to love us. So I think that that is a great point. And it goes to sort of the confusion that I have about this whole entire process, because I look up and and I see that Tennessee state gets this, this one time, they, they kept saying one time, this one time payment of some of the money that's old. It's like a, a percentage of, and it's like, okay, we're going somewhere. Then it's a hearing. It's like, what's the problem? Then you see Tennessee State continuing to advance, continuing to grow, getting the hockey team, growing the, the, the numbers of, of students. And now we see that there's some measures to dissolve the board of trustees. So what's going on with that? Yeah. So again, um, with management, when you can't when you can't attack um, the excellence, when you can't attack the the history and the the legends, you start to attack in any way that you can attack. And so, unfortunately, the state of Tennessee has um, found ways to to see uh, that the board of trustees um, they feel that they could have managed better. Um, they feel like some of the things that have happened with Tennessee, and again, as I said, a lot of things happen because of of not having the funding. Um, however, uh, if they could manage better, uh, the state of Tennessee would have felt that they did a better job. So what they're saying is that they're wanting to see a little bit better governance with Tennessee State University. And so the Board of Trustees, for those who don't understand what this whole dialogue is about, Tennessee State University is governed by a body uh, uh, called the Board of Trustees. And so recently, the state of Tennessee um, legislators have put forth the efforts to vacate that board. It doesn't mean that they're getting rid of the, the actual entity of the board. It just means that they're looking at removing the members that are on the board. Um, those members would be sunsetting in June, um, but what they're looking to do and what they're trying to do is is kind of speed up that process. So that's what, what we're looking at now. So uh, again, some people, there have been rumors, well, are they getting rid of the board? They're not getting rid of the, the entity of the board of trustees. They're, they're just looking to bring in new members. So from what my research is saying is that if this were to happen, that Governor Bill Lee would be appointing new members of the board. So I, I want to talk about this. Like a lot of folks know about the board of trustees and we saw it play out in dramatic fashion with FAMU and the coaching search. You know, I talked about mm-hmm. that um, a, a, like a lot on, on, on my radio show, but like, I think people don't understand outside of those functions that we see outwardly at like a FAMU, for example, or dramatized on TV, like the quad, for example, we saw a trustee board on the quad, right? So what does a board of trustees do and why is a board of trustees important in this context? 
So when, again, in order, you know, there's a show and then there's a business. So a lot of times people see the show of an HBCU. They see, of course, the band. They see all of the pomp and circumstance. But, of course, the business would be the scholarships. The business would be uh, the, the different programmings, the degree programmings. Um, it would be the money that is brought into the university. Uh, it would be uh, facilities, all of the things that it takes to manage and run the education and just the the university as a whole. And so the board of trustees, they are responsible for overseeing the management of Tennessee State University. So our, our university is, is managed by a president. And so the board of trustees would be um, the governing and governance of that president. So in that same regard, so what is the best outcome for Tennessee State? Because hearing this is scary, like, because it seems as if it's a takeover. You know, it, it seems it seems like, hey, now I'm going to take over and I'm going to make it the way I want to make it. And we know that, that Dr. Glover is, is going to be leaving soon because because she she's retired. So now it's like, OK, now it's going to be a new president. It might it might be a board that that's selected by folks that might or might not have Tennessee State's best interest at heart. So as HBCU stakeholders, it scares us a bit. So what is the the best outcome for Tennessee State here? So so as an alumni body, so something that is very important to understand about the, the makeup of the board, um, the board of trustees, there's a certain amount of members that have to be alumni of, of Tennessee State University. And so that's always a plus that that there is a written rule that there have to be alumni. And so as alumni, what we have to do is we have to come together and and present some names. You know, we have to take a look at it, that some of our alums that that have good business ability that have had a great career and legacy, um, a, a true love for Tennessee State University, have experience in management um, of some of these entities or similar or business. And we have to come together and present those names. We have to come together and, and, and really um, demand, demand continued excellence. You know, our, our, our theme is uh, we're committed to excellence. We, we think, work, and serve, but one of our trademarks is that we are committed to excellence. And so we have to continue that commitment to excellence by expecting the next board members to be excellent alumni and excellent board members. And so that's where we have to put some focus on as alums to, to decide who are some people we want to put up uh, in front of the governor uh, to take a look at for consideration. I love that. And, and I want to say that I'm confident that with Tennessee State, like everything's going to be all right because you are the alumni president. So I already know that like, I appreciate yeah, I already know that like you're making it happen. You're privy to what's going on. And you're going to be able to, to navigate that. So I really appreciate you breaking that down for us. All right, so that was my conversation with Charles Galbraith Jr. about what's going on with Tennessee State University and how the Tennessee State Legislator is trying to vacate the Board of Trustees and what's really going on, what the talking points need to be, and what the best outcome is for Tennessee State University. And I appreciate Charles as the alumni president at Tennessee State University for fighting on the front lines and really giving all of us that attend the state HBCUs a blueprint of how to fight for our institutions, because I think Tennessee State right now, they are leading the way in the amazing work that they're doing to preserve Tennessee State and their governance. All right, so coming up, since we had Brother Charles Garbrough Jr. here, and he's the 26th alumni president of Tennessee State University, I wanted to talk to him about how he got to this position in his life. 
So we took a stroll down memory lane and we talked about his college experience because he talks about it in the book, The HBCU Experience, the HBCU Royal University Kings second edition, which is available now on Amazon. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Charles about that. All right. You listen to HBCU Pulse Radio. From the shade room to your news feed, we brag different. You're locked into HBCU Pulse, now trending worldwide. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to HBCU Pulse Radio. So we have a good one here. I got a chance recently to talk to Tennessee State University alumni president, Charles Galbraith Jr., who's a former HBCU king. He was Mr. Tennessee State University in the 2002-2003 school year. We talked about a lot of things, but here... We talk about his experience at Tennessee State University and how it built him into the man he is today. What made you choose Tennessee State as your HBCU? So my sister, Gianna, she uh, is uh, older than me. She may not want me to say that, but uh, she went to Tennessee State University first. She actually introduced me to the experience of a black college. And so she wanted to go to one of the colleges down south. Um, She was looking at Clark Atlanta. And then my mother had an intern who actually is a a graduate of Tennessee State and said, I think you should look at TSU. And so we went on a college tour, just my family, and we went to take a look at Tennessee State University. And my sister fell in love with it. Um, It wasn't until years later that I went and I fell in love with the HBCU experience. I necessarily wasn't going off to college. I wasn't going to the HBCU experience. I was going to go to Up With The People, uh, a group that traveled the world. But when I went to TSU and saw Homecoming, I was like, I'm not going to let my sister have all the fun. So I ended up following her to TSU. Listen, I love it. Tennessee State Homecoming lit. Tell you. Oh, yes. It's one of the best. You know, people say they have the greatest homecoming on earth. I'm not throwing any shots. And I'm not trying to be shady, but Tennessee State University has one of the greatest homecoming experiences. I tell my friends that didn't go to TSU, you could come to TSU and just be like, hey, good to see you again. And we're going to welcome you and and probably think we had some type of class with you. That's the love that we show. You don't even have to go there to have a good time at TSU's homecoming. But let's talk about just the genesis of your HBCU experience. So we're going to go year by year. And I know you got a lot to say about that experience. We got to confine it to year by year, right? So let's start with your freshman year experience. So you're at Tennessee State. You're making it happen. Tell us about your freshman year. Yeah, so my freshman year, actually going into Tennessee State University, I was really shy. I didn't know. I was a leader in high school, but I didn't know if that would translate over into a new space and especially a predominantly black space. And so I wanted to be a leader. So I actually ran for freshman class representative. And what's cool about that is I just had no clue that I would pull it off. I, I just was like, I'll do this cause I want to do this. But you know, everyone was from Memphis and from Atlanta and from Chicago. They were from all of these big cities. And here I am from Fulton, Missouri. And I came with the same boom as they got. But I was there kind of by myself. Uh, and so uh, I actually ran uh, one of my good friends. Her name is Jessica Bell. She was running for Miss Freshman, and she's from Franklin, Kentucky. And so we got together and we said, hey, we're outnumbered. Let's just run together. So we walked around that campus promoting each other, and we both won. We actually both won. She was Miss Freshman, and I was a freshman class representative. And it was I don't know if lit existed back then, but when I tell you it was lit um, from the moment I won until the moment I graduated. Listen, I think it was crunk back then, okay? 
It was. That's exactly what it was. Crunk, <laughs> sta- Crunk stayed on for so long. It stayed yeah. on until at least the 2010s, then like sort of lit came around. But Albany State still does Crunk. They got the Crunk squad. So, you know, Crunk's still around okay. in some capacity. All right. <laughs> so like, so with that, you know, experience, like how was that experience campaigning with someone else at that point? Yeah, I think that sometimes when you feel like you're an underdog, you look for other underdogs um, to kind of encourage each other. And I think that, you know, I look at that in in every area of my life, moments when I felt like I was outnumbered. How do you win? You you team up with other people. And so that's what we decided. We decided that if we want to do this, we're going to we're going to believe in each other. We're going to promote each other. And we're going to go out here and we're going to get this. And and we're still, t- I mean, 20, 20 plus years later, she's still one of my, my greatest friends and one of my biggest supporters. And we we do a lot together. So, yeah. And you all both won. So, I, so was, what was the rain like? Oh, it was awesome. Like when, and I don't know if people know with, with these student leadership positions, you feel like you're in black Hollywood. I mean, it's like, it's like royalty when you, you're actually on the court, but when you're on the SGA, you know, you go to the classics and Tennessee state university is, is famous for classics. We, we've got the Southern heritage classic at that time. We were still in the Atlanta classic. Um, we also had a classic that was in Las Vegas, uh, the, the circle city classic. So TSU, we had somewhere to go every single week and we go suited and booted. Like that's the other part of the culture. When you are in SGA or in the Royal court, you're not just going to the game in a t-shirt. You're going to the game with a nice suit on with, with, with the guys have on their ties, nice shoes, and the ladies have on the the rhinestones and the furs and the you know they looking like royalty. Yeah, I mean when I tell you, like it's just a different experience when it comes to just the gallantry and the pageantry of HBC life, even outside of just royal court. But royal court is is, is the biggest like component of it. So the games yeah. you went to that year, right, as Mister Freshman, what were like the games that really stuck out to you? in that role so in that so that year i was the freshman class representative and that's what's cool and i'm glad that you said that because that is how far this role has come the role of hbcu kings at that time we didn't have a royal court so there was just mr tennessee state university and there was no mr freshman mr sophomore mr junior mr senior and so that's how far this position has come um as freshman class representative i think my favorite game was the atlanta classic the, you know, the Atlanta Classic, Tennessee State University, pay, play, FAMU. It's taken me 20 years to sit down and talk to some FAMU people. It used to be a really tough rival. I mean, it was like I would sit down and talk to someone from FAMU and find out they're from FAMU and almost stop talking. But now it's not that bad. <laughs> We've mended and, and we have HBCU love now. But you, that rivalry in Atlanta used to be really, really powerful. So I want to ask you this in talking about that rivalry with FAMU, because often when it comes to the topic of Tennessee State, especially in football, Tennessee State is a blue blood HBCU. You got Ed Tutal Jones that was drafted number one overall out of Tennessee State, yes, right? Sir. You got Richard Dent out of Tennessee State. So you have all this, this amazing football and a lot of HBCU fans can't wrap their minds around like Tennessee State not being in an HBCU conference in the SWAC or the MEAC, but having those rivalries like a family rivalry, like a Jackson State rivalry. So as someone at that time, Tennessee State was in the OVC. So how did you feel about that as a student? It, so for us, because we had the classics to, to depend on, 
it, it helped us deal with the rest of the season, not being um, playing HBCUs every game. Uh, it's still something that we want, you know, as a, as a, a fan base, as, as an alumni base, we want to play exciting games. That that's the key. When you think about HBCU games, you think of the band, you think of of the fans, you think of the excitement. Everyone's dancing, everyone's cheering. You got your food, your barbecue. That's the excitement that we miss. So sometimes when we're not playing those HBCUs and we're not in those HBCU cultures, it's not that we're throwing shade at these these schools that we're playing. It's the fact that we want that excitement. That that excitement's something that you know. That's what is our number one recruiter. The excitement and the hoopla and the band and the dancing and the cheering and the chanting, that is the number one recruitment for most HBCUs and the HBCU experience. That so is, that's what we want. That is 100% true. And I think that that's often lost in a lot of spaces is that on like the PWI side, they, they play football. It might be a crowd energy, but I think it's the encapsulation of the experience that goes with good football that really makes the experience something amazing. But I want to talk yeah. about how you manage leadership as freshman class rep uh, at Tennessee Stadium in your freshman year, because sometimes in leadership, it's that black Hollywood type of scene where you get caught up in it. You know, I know I got caught up in it my sophomore year. So how did you manage doing your schoolwork, but also being a student leader? You have to keep your eye on the prize because once I was successful at being the freshman class representative that told me that I can, I can work here at the issue. I, I can make it here. Sounded kind of like that saying uh, that they say in New York, I live in New York now. And of course we hear over and over, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. So I had that spirit as a freshman that, okay, if I can make it as freshman class rep, my goal and my dream to become Mr. Tennessee state university, it, it's closer than I, than I thought it might be. So, yeah. So managing my goals have always kept me in line. My goals have always uh, helped me produce the work, the work ethic, um, the encouragement internally and externally that I need to get done, whatever I need to get done. So if I have a, a goal, what they say, ain't no mountain high enough. There is nothing that can keep me from reaching my goal. Not even myself. Hey, that's powerful. And I think that that's a perfect precursor to sophomore year because a lot of folks don't understand being goal driven until sophomore year because you get so many distractions when you're a freshman it's a new vibe it's not like high school although some folks still try to say that college life is like high school no it's not i didn't think that all right but sophomore year people start to understand it's not like high school so what was sophomore yeah. year like for you so for me um so i ran i actually knew that i wanted to be mr tennessee state university one day and so i decided that if I'm going to, to be Mr. TSU, people are going to have to see me in a different light because at that point in time, the Mr. TSU, was it was a pageant. It was more on looks, image, popularity. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I've got to pull it together and present a new face and a new image. So I actually ran for um, Mr. NAACP um, for the collegiate chapter for TSU, and I won that. And so that gave me an opportunity to be seen in that capacity of representing the university as a king. Uh, and so again, that journey in my sophomore year was also the time that I introduced a character. And this character was Charles in Charge. So there's a lot of people who to this day, when I'm at homecoming, they'll run up to me and they'll be like, Charles in Charge, Charles in Charge. That was a character that I produced as a leader that helped me stay focused on what my goals were. 
I love that. So Charles in charge. So you said it was a character. So tell me about that character. Yeah. Um, so first of all, he was he was a leader. Um, he was very creative. And I talk about like I'm I'm talking like Beyonce. Like I got this Sasha Fierce going on. But um, it, it's kind of like that, you know. I I'm I'm sometimes kind of quiet, reserved, um, laid back. Um, in order to lead, you have to be a person who is not afraid to stand up and talk, not afraid to use the culture. At that time, I mean, I understand it now is it's kind of partnering with the culture. Um, I've always partnered with the culture. Um, like back in the day, one of my campaigns, um, I can remember mystical shake it fast was out so i had like check it fast and i'll show you what i'm working with like i've always known how to partner with the culture but charles in charge was the ultimate like mastermind he knew how to produce and understand what the students wanted what people wanted to see in a campaign and and really produce that in a fun way so how important do you think building a brand is of, of like being reliable being someone that the students mm-hmm. can depend on. Because I think oftentimes when we look at elections and I saw that FAMU, of course, they campaign early. Uh, they're, they're campaigning now and then they're about to choose their next, their next representatives at, at the levels of sophomore, junior, senior. So yeah. oftentimes people boil down election processes to popularity. But I, I say mm-hmm. that, yes, the HBCU election process is for popular people. But oftentimes, I would say for at least eight times out of 10, your popular people are the student leaders that are making change on campus, that are doing these different things. So, like, yeah. for you, like, how important do you think is building that brand of relatability? And do you think that being a relatable leader is more important than being that known student leader? Mm. I think that in school, I, I had a, a wall of quotes. And one of the quotes that I live by still today is be the hype, but don't believe the hype. So for me, I understand what it takes to be a leader, but I I never leave my natural self. I am going to be me all day long, everywhere I go. I'm going to bring a polished, excellent professional self, but I never discount the fact that it's most important for me to show up as me. Uh, and so for me, I think that there's a lot of hype, but you can't believe the hype. You know, we can't believe, uh, you know, a lot of people get caught up in clothes and they get caught up in today. I'm talking today, social media posts, likes, um, how many people have shared things. And I think that what are you sharing? What are you liking? I've always been more interested in what I was producing versus whether you liked it or not. Because my goal as a leader was to already have thought about what you need so that when I give it to you, it was what you needed. So it wasn't about whether you liked it or not. It was about, oh, this feels good to me because this seems like it was done for me and not to me. So, yeah, I've never really believed the hype of all of this stuff. I've enjoyed a lot of cool experiences, but I've never believed in those experiences. I just experienced them because, you know, something that I I take from the Bible, I've learned to be content in whatever my circumstances, because there will be a day that I have and a day that I have not. So I never get too focused on the glitz and the glamour because it could be here and it could not be here. I love that. I think that that's something that's powerful. So let's move to the junior year in that same sort of spirit of what you talked about your sophomore year. I know for me, my junior year was probably my favorite experience of my life because you get out of that underclassman type of box and then you're open to so many new experiences your junior year. So for you, and then you run to be Miss Tennessee state your junior year. So, so like, what was that like? What was the junior year like for you in general? 
So um, it, it, I, the first part of my junior year, I had to lay low because, of course, when you're running for, for Mr. T, she was like pledging, you know, you're working out because I had to wear a Speedo and go out in front of thousands of students and, and just like my swim trunks and no shirt on. So I had to work out and I had to be ready for the show. And so um, the first part of that year was very quiet. I was working out. I was getting ready for homecoming. And then Showtime hit. And I, I remember waking up on that day saying, you are Mr. TSU. I went, and, and I'll be honest, I, there was a skate jam that was scheduled. The Mr. TSU pageant was on a Tuesday. And there was a skate jam for homecoming on a Wednesday. On Monday, I went out and got my fit for the skate jam on Wednesday and had airbrushed on at Mr. Tennessee State University because I was going to wear that on Wednesday. So it was hanging up in my closet because you are going to go out here on Tuesday and you're going to kill this and you're going to take this crown and you're going to wear this suit to the skate jam on Wednesday. And I wore that suit on Wednesday. Man, <laughs> that's like in the NBA, uh, Pat Riley told the Miami Heat in 2006 when they were coming back against the Mavericks, he said, "Listen, we only packing one suit because he used to do like like, like two, three, two. Like he's like we only wearing we only packing one suit. We're going back to Dallas, one suit, and they won and get they won game six six against HBCU alum alumnus Avery Johnson. Sorry, Avery, but that was still cool. Okay, because he he from, he from Southern, but it's all good. That was legendary. But I think that that's yeah. dope though. So like, what what made you that confident? Was it?" The preparation, was it sort of the confidence that you knew was for you? Like, what what made you that confident? There was, whatever you do is for you. Whatever you do is for you. And whether it is the ending result, that you win the crown, you win the lesson, you win a relationship, when you enter something and you say yes to something, you're going to get something out of it. For me, I was focused on what I was going to give it on the other side this position needed to move from being just a homecoming position to something that could stand and last next to Miss Tennessee State University for years to come. And so I was so focused on you've got to win so that you can take this position to where it deserves to go. You've got to win so that you can, you can affect change on this position. I was so focused on what I could offer it that I didn't think about winning because of what it was going to give me. I thought of winning so that I could give it um, the best of what I could give it. So that's that's where my mind was with that. I love that. So let's talk about that senior year. So you missed yeah. Tennessee State at that point. So you got to walk us through it. So what was it like the senior year as Mr. Tennessee State? So half of the year I was Mr. Tennessee State University. And then um, the rest of the half, it was kind of like I, I had, a, I had a, a radio show, a talk show. Um, because at that point in time, it's kind of like I, I had graduated TSU. So it was like I had graduated TSU before I graduated TSU. Uh, because being a, a usually people are a senior when they're Mr. and Ms. TSU. And so they reign and then they graduate. For me, it was weird because was, I was Mr. Tennessee State University and then I still had school to, to finish. So I was kind of like an advisor around campus. Like, you know, I. People look to me. I had been a leader since my freshman year. Um, and, you know, without having a role anymore, I was just kind of there and enjoying life. I think when you when you are a high achiever and you are serving a lot, 
you don't have a lot of downtime. So for the first time in my life, I could just sit around and hang out with friends and, and just have fun. So that that's what I remember about my senior year is that I did a lot of laughing and a lot of fun and a lot of nothing serious because my first three years have been very serious. So what was your favorite moment from that senior year? Because you finally achieved the goal. You wore it on your suit. So what was your favorite moment from that year, especially your reign specifically? Yeah, um, I, I, a lot of cool things happened for me being Mr. Tennessee State University. Um, I was able to um, to pass within the Student Government Association that Mr. TSU would get um, three suits within his wardrobe. Um, the next Mr. Tennessee State University would be a voting member of our Student Union Board of Governors. So that was able to be passed. Uh, we had a, a, an HBCU think tank that we hosted. And so we did that my junior and uh, my, my sophomore and junior year. And so my junior year, I had the opportunity to host HBCU Kings. So I, I feel like I had the first meeting of HBCU Kings uh, collectively at this HBCU think tank. So that's a huge memory for me because bringing all of those Kings together who were at the beginning of moving their positions forward, hearing what they felt, feeling how, hearing how they felt overlooked sometimes, underutilized sometimes, and us really coming together in a room deciding how we were going to push these positions forward. That was a great memory for me. Wow. So you had like a tank before Shark Tank. Like Shark Tank ain't even come out yet. Yeah, we had a cool HBC. We had two of them. We 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 put together two HBC think tanks as student leaders. Wow. So it's interesting because you were doing that as Mr. Tennessee State. Now you're doing these grandiose things as alumni president of Tennessee State. So what is like the dichotomy of that? Because you went from this student leader role and you turned the student leadership role to such a big role in leading the alumni. So what was that transition like? And what are the the similarities and differences between the two? Because both of them are leadership positions, and we know one is like you're over all the alumni versus one you're over the folks at, at the school. But I think both yeah. are significant. But in the scope, like what is different to you and what's similar? I had no clue that I was going to fall in love with Tennessee State University. I went there. A lot of people talk about where did you go for to school? I went to Tennessee State University, but I went to Tennessee State University and I fell in love with Tennessee State University. And what I learned as a student, I've been able to use in life. And I think that, again, the excitement that I talked about, we have so many awesome TSU alums that are doing great things on high levels, on, on celebrity levels in the NFL, um, in, in engineering, um, you know, one of my classmates, she, she discovered a, a, a new element on the periodic table. You know, when you think about what's going on with alums, what's not to love about spreading the word? That is what I get to do. So when I was a student, we were spreading the word about what's going on on campus. As an adult, I'm spreading the word about what's going on as a whole, what is the school doing? What what are the alumni doing? What are we excited about? What are we proud about? You know, what what can we get people more involved in? I, you know, the HBCUs are underfunded and under attack, and so there's a lot to call to action for, and there's a lot to get people involved. So that's where I I, I find a lot of joy in in just spreading the word about what's going good and what could be better. Your inclusion in the book, The HBCU Experience, the HBCU Royal University Kings second edition. So you're in the book. You're making it happen. You have this amazing story of your HBCU experience. So what do you talk about in your chapter of the book? So within my chapter, um, 
it starts out with reminding people of how you get to have unlimited moves and checkers. And so um, I can remember playing checkers as a, as a young boy and you would make your way to the opponent's side and they would have to crown you. Once you would yell out, king me, and they would put that checker on you, you could make any move that you wanted to make on the board. And so um, I, similar to that, I felt like the magic of an HBCU, uh, the crown, you know, when you think about our childhood, there weren't a lot of, of royalty. There weren't a lot of royal faces that look like ours. And so when you think about some of your favorite childhood stories, they had magic in them, but they had magic that was reserved for people who didn't look like us. And so when HBCU Kings and HBCU Queens came along, there was a magic that was attached to that. And there was a magic that allowed you to make moves that usually people that look like you and look like me weren't able to make. And so my, my chapter talks about how I was exposed to the idea of being a king, um, how I was exposed to the power of, um, there was a young lady uh, from Missouri. Her name was Dr. Debbie Turner. Dr. Debbie Turner was crowned Miss America. She was the second black woman crowned Miss America. And she happened to be a Miss Missouri candidate. And so, um, my family being from Missouri, Debbie Turner was very important to us because she was a person who we could relate with. Missouri, Mexico, Missouri was where the Miss, uh, Miss Missouri pageant was, and it's like 20 minutes away from Fulton, Missouri. So to think that someone who was 20 minutes away from you and was crowned, who looks like you, is now the queen of America. That was a change in, in our minds and it allowed us to see ourselves in a space that we hadn't been seen in. So that's really what my chapter talks about. My chapter talks about how I was exposed to Black excellence. You know, I used to read Jet and Ebony magazine and just pretend I was in those places and, and knew those people. Um, how I looked at my sister's yearbook and I saw Reginald Coolmill. I know he was on your show the, the other day. He was the king that I looked at in my sister's yearbook. And I said, I want to be him. Whether I go to college, whether I go wherever I go, I want to have his energy in whatever I do and whatever I go. And so I had the opportunity to go to TSU and become Mr. TSU, just like Reginald Cool Missouri. I love that. So I know I'm excited to read your chapter because you already know, like, I, I, I rock. You know what I mean? So I'm ready to read your chapter and just, just see what you have going on. Because I think that your story is important because now like 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 you were looking at at, at cool meal. Now folks can look at the book and it's like, let's this Charles Garford Jr. Like you making it happen. He's doing this thing. So like before you go, like I wanna know like what we can do to support you because you already know we're gonna get the book. It's out now, it's on Amazon. But what do we do to support yeah. you and like where can we find you on social media? Um you can find me at TSU Alumni Prez. Um, that's how you can connect with me. You know, reach out. I'm very accessible. I, I answer DMs as long as you're not sending me nothing crazy. I, I answer those DMs. So, yes, yeah, TSU alumni prayers. And, again, shout out to all my TSU family and all of my actual family back in Fulton, Missouri and Missouri and all over the country, everyone that holds me down and, and, and supports me so that I can do, be out here doing the work that I'm doing. Like what you hear? Uh. 
Yeah. Subscribe to HBCU Pulse Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to HBCU HBCU Pulse Pulse Radio. Radio.